The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. And I'm um, here in filling in for Max this morning. He hurt his foot, so he's nursing his, his foot. So this morning, um, I want to talk a little bit about suffering and happiness. So at the beginning of the year, often, there is um, a talk that's given about the Four Noble Truths, which is the basis, the foundation for our, um, our practice here. And the first noble truth is that there is suffering. It's called dukkha <coughs> in uh, the ancient language of the Buddha. And it means dissatisfaction or um, unease or stress. So it's differentiated from pain. Pain is something that we all feel. It's inevitable when we're alive. As humans, we will feel physical pain, we'll feel emotional pain, psychic pain, all kinds of, of real pain. Suffering is what we add to that, how we make it worse, by how we react to it, how we relate to it, how we perceive it. So the second truth is that suffering is caused by clinging tightly to things that we want. Either we want we don't have, things that we want, we want to stay the same, um, and that causes suffering. And the third truth is that there is freedom from, from this suffering. The fourth noble truth is that the way forward is through the Eightfold Path. And the Eightfold Path invites us to cultivate right view. How do we look at things? How are we perceiving our experience? What is intention? Speech, action, and livelihood? Wise effort, mindfulness, being aware of what's happening in the present moment, and concentration. So part of what we did on the cushion was we did, in part, mindfulness, being aware of what was happening in the moment, and concentration, bringing our, our attention back to our breath when it wandered off. So. the very beginning of this path is this acknowledgement that there is suffering. And I want you to just close your eyes for a sec and I want you to check in with your body when I say there is suffering. And notice how does that land in your body? Do you feel any kind of heaviness? Do you feel contraction anywhere? Do you feel expansive? Lighter? How do you feel when I say there is suffering? 
So go ahead and open your eyes and just popcorn style, just say a couple words that came to you, how you felt when I said that. Sad. Acceptance. Okay. Pardon? Pulling down. Okay, so I don't know about you, but for me, there is suffering. Um, makes me feel heavy, closed, contracted. So, I want you to now close your eyes and see if I say this instead. There is happiness. The first noble truth, there is happiness. And happiness arises when we open our hands and hearts. So just check in with your body, your heart, your mind. How does that land? There is happiness. And happiness arises when we open our hands and our hearts. So go ahead and open your eyes. And again, some words or reflections on how that was. Release. Release. Lightness and expansiveness. Yay. So, it's kind of like the, you know, is the glass half full or half empty? Um, there is a realization that there is suffering. That's, that's, that's on the one hand. But the flip side of that is there's happiness. And this practice is actually here to help us to be happier. So I think it's important for us to see how we are relating to our meditation, our mindfulness practice. How are we holding this? Are we holding with this with the heaviness, with, with this focus on suffering? How does, that, how does that feel? How does that work in you? And there's not a right or wrong because some people, for some people, that may actually really be beneficial. So it's just noticing, right? How are we relating to not only our life but to this practice? So we, we tend to have a, a natural a negativity bias and uh, that is, uh, was important to our ancestors. That's why we're all sitting here in this room. 
because their ancestors were very vigilant about danger, always looking for danger when we were hunter-gatherers, you know, looking for the tiger or the, the unfriendly local nearby tribe or whatever, or, you know, impending winter. So always looking to the past to remember the bad things that went wrong and trying to prevent them by projecting them into the future. So we're trained, we evolved to do that, and we do that really, really well, right? So most of us get stuck in thinking about the past, the bad things that happened, and worrying about the future, and we're actually, uh, it's hard for us to stay present, to stay here in this moment, which is oftentimes just fine, this present moment. We're okay right here, right now, right? So when we can bring our awareness back to now, bring our breath back to the body, so the mind and our body and our, our awareness and our body are, are here in this, this moment. So um, there's a, a Buddhist teacher, and I think he's also a psychologist, Rick Hansen, who says that we're... Teflon for good experiences and Velcro for negative experiences, right? So if you have Teflon pan, I know they're kind of like getting a little bit, you know, questionable for health-wise. So I don't, uh, but Teflon is just things just, just slide right off of it and nothing sticks. So when we have positive experiences, oftentimes they just slide right off. We experience them and then they're fleeting and then they go. Experiences that we... Th- you as negative, feel, feel harder, uh, they stick, like Velcro, right? That's part of that negativity bias. So what can we do about this? So Buddhist teachings really um, uh, exhort us to practice non-attachment. How many of you have heard that word, non-attachment? Okay, so what does that mean? Does that mean that we withdraw from the world and we say, oh, to heck with it. Everything is impermanent. Nothing stays the same. Everything that we love is going to break, wear down, die. You know, why bother? And I would say that the answer is no. (laughs) There's another way to think about non-attachment. So um, the problem is not that we are attached to people and to things that we love. It's that we become attached to certain ones and we convince ourselves that we will not be happy unless we keep them or we get them. Right? So rather than having a very expansive, ex- inclusive feeling, it's like we've taken, you know, the, the zoom lens and we've zoomed in on the stuff that, okay, this is what makes me happy. I must have this to be happy. And we hold our happiness hostage. We make it conditional. So 
Once again, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and I'm going to ask several questions. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to... Randy, could you um, pass around some paper and some pens? Actually, why don't I just send the pens around? Because what I'd like for you to do is to... After I've asked you the question, oops, um, if something comes to you and you want to jot down, then you can do that. do is I'm going to ask the question first with your eyes closed and just the question is like just dropping a pebble into a pond just let it kind of sink down into you and see what arises so it's not so much an analytical thing from the head it's kind of like just dropping pebble down into your the question into your body and seeing what arises and if something comes to you then you can just jot it on your paper so close your eyes for a minute so the question is I will be happy when I will be happy when If something comes to you, you can just jot it on your paper. question is so go ahead and close your eyes again I can't be happy if can't be happy if if what
And then the last question is, so go ahead and close your eyes again. I am not happy because... I am not happy because... So I want to give you an opportunity to maybe explore this a little bit more. And so if you feel inclined, I'm going to invite you just to turn to somebody next to you. And take a moment just to reflect for yourself what might have come up for you. And you don't have to share anything that's really personal. You can just say, Talk about how this was for you just doing this exercise, how you felt about it. Um, So I'm just going to give you about, I don't know, four or five minutes in your partner, uh, with your partner to just share a little bit about what came up for you. And I'll ring the bell at the end of uh, a few minutes to start again. Hopefully that was very connecting and it wasn't too uh, stressful. It's, I think it's, uh, this practice can be very insular. You know, we come, we meditate, we sit quietly, listen to talk, and then we don't really connect with others. And I think it's really important to do that. Because um, when you scratch the surface, you find that we're all, you know, kind of struggling with their different stories, but but... But uh, it's part of that common humanity we all share. So um, there is a, um, a teacher who has who has passed away, but um, he his name is Anthony DeMello. Does anybody know of him? So he was a Jesuit priest in India, and he actually wove together. Um, Christianity and Eastern traditions, and um, very, very wise man, but Many also Jesuits joyful. Ah. Many Jesuits do that. Okay, so that's a that's a tradition among the Jesuits. So um, he has very many inspirational um, messages and talks, and I I love this book, The Way to Love. The Last Meditations of Anthony Tomello. Um, so according to him, there are two views that get in the way of our happiness right now. The first is that we insist that we must have this, this, and this to be happy. Right? 
I have to, I'm not going to be happy unless this happens. If this happens, when this happens. Um, and the other thing is, is that we focus on what we don't have instead of focusing on what we do have. So let's start with the first one. So if we insist that we have to have certain things to be happy, maybe it's a job, or it's a life partner, or it's children, or it's a house, or um, something about our health, right? I cannot be happy now because I do not have this. Again, we're making our happiness conditional, right? Um, and so we've, we've really limited our ability to be happy. It's like reciting a negative affirmation. You know, we've heard of positive affirmations. Well, this is like a negative affirmation. So um, with mindfulness, we can pause and notice when we're doing that. Notice when we have that belief. Maybe it's been unconscious. But with mindfulness, we can begin to actually see it and make it conscious and begin to question it. Is this true? Has anybody, does anybody know Byron Katie? She's a, a, a speaker, a teacher, and she does this thing called the work. And so it, I, I think I've, I've added one step. I, can't, I don't remember exactly all the steps. But the first one is to ask yourself, is this true? What I'm believing right now, is it true? And usually the answer is yes. Yes, it is true. Yes, I absolutely need this to be happy. That is true. Um, and then you ask yourself, are you sure? You're absolutely sure you have to have this to be happy. And usually then a little doubt may arise. Mm, well, maybe not. Maybe, I don't know. So the next question is, how would I feel if, this, if it weren't true? My happiness maybe isn't dependent on this thing. How would I feel then? Close your eyes, feel into your body, see how that lands. And then you do this turnaround, and you take the, whatever the belief is, and you flip it. You turn it around, and then you see how you feel. So I'm going to give you an example of this. So one of my beliefs is I would never be happy if my husband died. I could never be happy if my husband died. Is that true? Yes. Are you sure? Well, I'm actually a grief counselor, and I know people who have lost their spouses, and it's very, very traumatizing, and it's sad. But after a few years, they start creating a new normal. They start making a new life, and they start being happy. They will miss, right? I would miss my spouse deeply, but I think it's possible that maybe I could be happy again without him. So how does that feel when I think that thought? It makes me feel lighter, more at ease, less clinging. I've got to ha make sure he stays alive, otherwise I cannot be happy. 
That's suffering, right? That's fear-based. I'm afraid all the time, so I can't be happy now because I'm worried about something that might happen later. I'm losing the happiness now out of a fear for something that could happen. So I turn the statement around, and instead of saying, I could never be happy if my husband died, I try this out for size. I could be happy again if my husband died. And I feel into that, close my eyes, and there's something that feels strong in me, resilient, hopeful, right? And I'm not, I'm no longer grasping, trying to hold on to this person, this relationship. I'm opening my hands and I'm holding him in my open hands so I can be more fully present and appreciate the moment and be happy now without the suffering of holding on so tightly. So um, I think this exercise is very useful, this asking yourself of, is it true? What am I believing right now? Is it true? Is it really true? How do I feel when I believe that? What if it weren't true? Let me turn that around. Let me, let me flip it. And then let me see how I feel. Because what it shows us is how powerful our thoughts are to shape our feelings, our emotions. And this practice is so much about... Um, The world is full of people trying to get everything in place, right? I'm going to be happy. I'm sure we've all done this. I'm going to be happy when I get the house, I get married, I I have a good job. And then it's something, it's always something else, right? It's always, it's never enough or, or something one thing goes right and other things go wrong, right? We can never get it all lined up and have it stay that way. Something always happens. So if we can let go of the need to get everything in place, if we don't hold our happiness hostage. Um, so I, I want to invite us just to, to do this in our own minds and... Um, probably won't be sharing this or we'll see how the time goes but for the time being just just for your own purposes I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think of one of those statements that you said now I can't be happy or until or I will only be happy when. I can't be happy now because take one of those statements and just bring it to your mind. And I'll give you just a few moments to think about that. And hopefully you've you've thought of one of them. 
some conditioned happiness statement, some belief. And I want you to ask yourself, is this belief true? Are you sure it's true? Absolutely 100% positive that it's true. How does that feel? And then ask yourself, well, what if it weren't true? How would I feel then? And then take your belief and and flip it around. Change it so it's just 180 degrees the opposite. If you say to yourself, I can't be happy until, or I'll only be happy when or if, say, I can be happy, or I might be happy, I could be happy. And see how that feels. Open your eyes, and um, I just want to just raise your hand. Did, did you find that was helpful? Did you feel a little shift? I'm seeing some nods. Some people found that helpful. Okay. So the according to Anthony DeMello, the uh, second obstacle to happiness. Um, is that we focus on what we want that we don't have. So we are constantly being bombarded by advertising, telling us that we couldn't possibly be happy unless we get by this or that or the other thing. And, you know, billions of dollars are spent on this, and it's very hard to kind of resist those messages. Because the message that you are okay, perfectly okay, fine, as you are in this moment, doesn't really sell any products. Okay? So basically, yeah, our consumerist culture is based on making sure that you are dissatisfied and unhappy so that you will buy things. This is not a recipe for happiness, I can just tell you. Um, so, so Anthony DeMello says this, this is a quote, the tragedy of an attachment is that if its object is not attained, it causes unhappiness. But if it is attained, it does not cause happiness. It merely causes a flash of pleasure followed by weariness 
And it is always accompanied, of course, by the anxiety that you may lose the object of your attachment. Okay, so let's get this straight. If we don't get what we want, we're unhappy. If we do get what we want, we're unhappy because we're afraid we're going to lose it. Okay, that's absurd, right? I mean, when we put it in those stark terms, it's insane. So um, the good news, so, 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 the, so the question for us is, so should we just let go of all of our wants, all of our desires? Is that what we need to do? And I'm happy to tell you that the answer is no. We don't need to do that. We don't have to let go of everything that we like, love, want. We just need to practice three things. One, loosen our grip rather than holding it tightly. Opening our hands and holding it with our open hands. Not grasping on it to it for dear life. Okay, and, and, and the, what helps us to do that is the second thing, and that is practicing appreciation for what we have now. And the third thing is learn to enjoy the scent of a thousand flowers. I love that saying. This has become a mantra for me. Learn to enjoy the scent of a thousand flowers. So I want to talk about each one of these three things for a few minutes. So first, loosening our grip on what we care about. So we, we do this by beginning to realize that holding on tightly hurts. You know, if we were to sit here and squeeze our fists really tightly, we go, ow, right? We open up our hands, we go, ah, oh, that feels good. So we, we notice what it, how we contract in our heart, our mind, our bodies, when we hold things tightly. And we notice that when we let go of that tight clinging, that we feel more ease. And so we can do the thing, like asking those, ourselves those questions during the turnaround and seeing what we believe and questioning it to bring some more ease. So in Buddhism, there are um, five precepts uh, that are foundational. And um, in yogic tradition, there are five yamas. And it turns out that the first four are the same. It's, uh, and this is what helps us to have happiness in our lives and have good relationships with others. And that is not harming, not lying, not stealing, not having sexual misconduct. The fifth one in Buddhism, the fifth precept is uh, to refrain from intoxicants. You know, that would include drugs and alcohol and things like that, which cloud our minds and um, make it difficult to, to see things clearly. But in, in yogic tradition, and I just read this recently, and I love this, the fifth yama is non-possessiveness. And I love this term. I don't know about you, 
But when I hear non-attachment, I contract. When I hear let go, it's like, no, I'm just hanging on. I don't want to let go. But when I hear non-possessiveness, it feels lighter to me. It feels like my hand is opening. It doesn't mean I have to detach from people and things that I love. Right? I just have to not make them mine, possess them. I have to have this. These are mine. Um, and so this word, uh, I think in Sanskrit, is aparigraha. Aparigraha, which means non-possessiveness. Um, and then this second thing that we can cultivate is appreciation for what we have. Um, and so words, again, really matter. There are people who have a gratitude practice. And I have to tell you the truth. I used to have a gratitude practice, and then it started feeling obligatory. Oh, I have to do my gratitude practice. I have to think of something I'm grateful for. And it just felt kind of, I don't know. It just didn't uplift me. But when I thought instead about what do I appreciate, again, that made me feel more expansive and light. So pay attention mindfully to the words. They're important. If gratitude doesn't work for you, then find a different word, appreciation. Um, What makes me light up? What expands me? What What do I appreciate? So um, when we practice appreciation, it actually fills us up. It makes us feel that we have enough. And then we just can feel more open. We're not clinging so tightly to the things that we love. So um, the third thing that we can do is we can learn to enjoy the scent of a thousand flowers. So we may think, oh, I love roses. Roses are my favorite flower. I cannot be happy without roses. Right? But there are thousands of other flowers. And they're all beautiful. And they smell sweet. And if I'm focused on just getting the rose, and let's say there aren't roses, eh, I'm unhappy. Oh, but look at the sunflower. Wow, the big, beautiful face of a sunflower turning toward the sun. I love that, too. And, wow, I love the smell of roses, but, ooh, jasmine. That smells really good, right? So rather than focusing in on, ooh, I have to have just this to be happy, we expand our appreciation for all of the things that are here that we can appreciate. So in Buddhism, there's this, there's this term Vedana, which means feeling tone. And uh, we can put them in three categories. There's pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And I used to have a bucket that of my um, pleasant things. And I had a big dumpster you know, of kind of like my unpleasant things. And like an Olympic-sized swimming pool of neutral. And the more I've practiced appreciation, the more 
my little pleasant pail has gotten really big. Now it's more like the pool. My, I mean, the unpleasant things still, you know, stayed pretty much the same. <laughs> but all of the neutral things are now in the pleasant category. All of the things that I just accept. Oh, there's a roof over my head. There's electricity when I flip the switch. You know, the water comes out clear and I can drink when I turn on the tap. Right? I totally take those for granted until the power goes off. Or, you know, there's a just natural disaster or something. But instead of just taking those as a neutral, as background, as, you know, eh, they're not really pleasant, they're not unpleasant, they just are. What if we take those and we actually notice and appreciate and those go into our pleasant bucket, right? So I, am, I want us to do that right now. I want us just to take a minute and we can just call out things. What are some things that might be neutral, we just take for granted, that if we pay attention to them, that are actually really good and we can appreciate? Just call out something. Breath. Breath. My car starts. Your car starts. Playgrounds with kids on them. Playgrounds with kids. Your kids. School. Comfy bed, woohoo! The Santa Cruz Mountains. Santa Cruz Mountains. I always go for a hike after this session every Tuesday. Lovely hikes in the mountains. New York Times arrived. New York Times! <laughs> <laughs> Nobody took your New York Times. Yay! <laughs> Orderly traffic. Orderly traffic. Being able to breathe. Yeah. So we could just go on and on. Our heart is beating. We don't have to think about it. It just does it. I don't know how many tens of thousands of times a day I, I knew that once. It's huge. Um, you know, just uh, there's no there are, there's no war going on outside. You know, the sky is blue. There's Beautiful trees out there. We're safe. There's so many things when we stop and pay attention and we actually take that in. And what Rick Hansen says, take in the good. Savor that. Stop and notice. Don't just, you know, that old cliche, stop and smell the roses. It's a cliche, but there's so much wisdom and truth in that, right? Rather than our hurrying past rows, maybe we're in, a, we're in a hurry, but we can still notice, oh, that's beautiful. And I could stop for just a moment and I could put my nose in it and I could smell it. And that will really uplift and expand me, right? So taking in the good that is all around us. I remember one time I was sitting in meditation, I was feeling very isolated and lonely. And I, I have my meditation altar and a kind of recreation room at home. And I opened my eyes and I looked around. And I felt overwhelmed with love. Because I realized 
that everything that I was surrounded by had been created for someone to make my life better. And maybe they didn't do it with me particularly in mind, but I am the beneficiary of someone who knows how to build houses, who made the windows so I could see through them, keep out the the rain, for the beautiful embroidered pillow that's on my couch, for the candles and this little Kuan Yin statue. And I just went on and on and on and on and on, and I felt overwhelmed with appreciation and love and support. So let's take that in, appreciate what we have, realize we are supported by so many people every moment of every day. We're supporting each other. So to conclude, attachment causes suffering. So rather than ridding ourselves of the people and the things that we're attached to, we can instead, all we need to do is three things, maybe more than three, but we could start with these. Realize that clinging to them hurts us. Open our hands. Realize that we'll be okay if we don't have this. But we love, we love this person, we love this thing. And I can hold that with my hands open. Appreciate what we have. Notice, stop and notice, take in the good, savor it, appreciate, and learn to enjoy the scent of a thousand flowers. Right? There isn't just one or several things that we have to have in order to be happy. If we can let go of the idea of that, cling to that belief, uh, if, we can, if we can let go of that belief, and open ourselves up to the scent of a thousand flowers, all the many things that, many people and things that we can enjoy that will support us in our lives. These things will help us to live into happiness, right? There is happiness. And happiness arises when we open our hands and our hearts. So I would like to um, thank you for coming today and I hope that the benefit of your practice and whatever, um, whatever inspired and uplifted you today that you'll take out into the world and spread the, the peace and the appreciation and the love and the light. So thank you so much for coming.